This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Jenny. Hi, I'm Tamahome. And I'm Seth. And we're going to talk new releases, recent arrivals. And it's a big show because we haven't had a show since before the summer started, I think. Yeah, so it's everything that's come out in the summer. Maybe not quite. (laughs) And a little bit more. Uh, Well, before we get too deep into the new releases and recent arrivals, I want to talk about our sponsor. Our sponsor is Downcast, a great podcasting app, or not podcasting, a podcast catcher for iPhone and iPad. And uh, Tam's talked about his use of it. Uh, Seth, you, I think, are the one who told me about Downcast to begin with. You use it, right? Yeah, I I like it because I have kind of a daily routine of morning short podcasts. I listen to uh, NPR News, Writer's Almanac, uh, Composer's Datebook. Anyway, um, I can kind of put all those in exactly the order I want in a uh, playlist. It downloads them automatically. Um, I could even do fancy stuff like change playback speed on individual podcasts if I wanted to. Um, just really customizable, so I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I had to switch over for the because of the new iOS screwed up my old fashioned you know 1991 version of catching podcasts on my phone, which which used to mean I had to sync my phone every time mm-hmm. every morning if I wanted to get my new podcasts. And it, I, I mean I never liked iTunes. I used it because it was it was necessary. Yeah, it would crash, and I just. I, I don't seem to sync my phone unless I need to put an audiobook on there at all. Yeah, no one syncs their phone anymore, or at least I don't. And uh, yeah, and I, it was a big part of my day is like getting it ready, and if it crashed or something, yeah, I was stuck at home until I could go get the stupid thing working. Yeah, but now that, you can do it anywhere, right? Yeah, I mean, Downcast is just put in. What I like about it is you can tell that that they are as app developers, they're podcast listeners, and they know. They've just put in a lot of thought to how people want to listen to podcasts and and how they use podcasts when they're on the road. So it's just it's a app by podcast listeners for podcast listeners. That's what it feels mm-hmm. like. I, th- I think it's a one-man operation. I was looking around online. Um, so the guy really knows podcasts is what mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe he's even listening to this one. Maybe. But, see, I think what's so funny is most of the ads I hear for uh, products on podcasts are not actually about podcasts. You know, they're, right. they're you know, for, I don't know, gym equipment. Razors. <laughs> yeah, razor blades or clothing clubs. or um, And they're not all international either. Like, a lot of them are U.S.-based. Um, right. Or, you know, there's the Audible, which is kind of, I mean, it's related but yeah, I, I I love the fact that the the one time we do get a sponsor, it's for podcast. Yes, which, it should be. It should be. I mean, if you're listening to this, you definitely do listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. He should he should have like a science fiction skin just for SF Audio. Sure. Yeah. I should try it because lately, the app I use otherwise has been making decisions for me that I don't necessarily. Mm want it to be making like hello right. i've stopped downloading these because you haven't listened for two weeks i'm like well <laughs> yeah i hate that yeah i mean uh, that. Luke's heard 
Luke Burgess' podcast, uh, I think he took a month off, and the uh, Apple Podcast app unsubscribed him or just stopped updating him. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, no it's, for that. it's designed for, like, the top ten podcasts or whatever that they think are the best podcasts. And right. I, I, the ones I want, I mean, I guess there there's a couple of, you know, super popular. I've got the Dan Carlin's on there and stuff like that. But him, I mean, he doesn't come out with a show for four months. <laughs> oh, yeah, I missed him. Well, he's got two out now, but yep. yeah, I mean, it's it's great when when you're listening the old-fashioned way, Jenny. If you if you're using the, the built-in one, the podcast app, I guess it's called. Yeah. Podcast, um, it will it do all sorts of like you're saying, do all sorts of things that'll make your uh, your day terrible. My old system was every time I synced my phone, I would lose any half listened to podcasts. So wow. I, yeah, and then if I didn't lose them, right, uh, I would have to mark them so as they in iTunes so that they would not be taken off, and then I'd have that thing on my phone forever. Right? It would be like, oh crap, I have to remember to take it off. In a four-hour hardcore history, I'm not going to get that listened to in one day. I would take it. I would mark it as you know, stay on permanently, and then it would stay on there. Until I remember, I need to get more space on my phone. So now the thing is, is you can you can add things and drop things like on your like just with a couple of swipes. It's amazing. Yeah, you should try, uh, especially if you are having trouble with with the with the regular one because I, I can never get it to work. The stupid stupid podcast app. All right. Talk All right. Good. Let's let's talk about some. New releases and recent arrivals. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we've got a, a bunch of categories. And the first is, I think everybody's into this right now. At least all the all the men are into it. <laughs> uh, short stories. Do you like short stories, Jenny? I do. I go in and out of the mood for them, you know. Sometimes I really want to delve deep into things. But especially with science fiction and fantasy, I like short stories. Because you kind of get to be introduced into a world just for a little bit and then leave it. Mm-hmm. I like that part of it. Yeah, um, you had a really curious question. I actually wanted to talk about this as well, and it, I was trying. I've been thinking about it all week, which is really annoying because the way you, you, you or Tam put up a question, you know, <laughs> you're so casual about it, and then me, I'm like racking my brain, like, geez, what, what, what does this mean? <laughs> well, do you want me to restate it? It might be easier. Yeah. Okay, so I teach. I don't teach. I'm a librarian at a university, but I work with people who teach first year writing seminars Mm. and one of my colleagues is doing one about wisdom literature so the majority of the class will be about you know judeo-christian the traditional stuff Mm -hmm. but he wants his students to be able to kind of go beyond that on their own and go exploring in different genres whether that's self-help or uh i don't know movies or you know science fiction and fantasy so he's looking for stories that have a pretty explicit theme of wisdom. Yeah, this is uh, this is the problem. Is I was I was thinking I don't think there is a, any specific science fiction story that is about wisdom, and I'm not sure if that's because they're all about wisdom. Yeah, <laughs> or right. a, a large proportion of them are like as opposed to like I wouldn't say you know space offers about wisdom. It's about no. spaceships, but well, but. Julie Davis and I were talking about this, mm-hmm. and we kind of thought almost anything that has to do with first contact 
oh, has yeah. wisdom as an underlying theme because it brings up is what we think as humans actually the only way to think. So even though it's not called wisdom necessarily, that's one avenue that I think would be easy to, you know, argue that it fits within that. I mean, with Blade uh, Runner, explicit though, right? That's right. the thing. Is that it's ne- it's never saying you know this is your lesson, children. Oh yeah, right. I mean, you want college students to think more than that anyway. Right. I mean, even uh, self help literature, so called, it never says this is wisdom, <laughs> and a lot of self help literature is crap. So yeah. yeah. Um, I, mean, I don't know. It's um, a really interesting question, though. <laughs> how about understanding by Ted Chiang? Uh-huh. Well, see, that's about intelligence, though, right? I mean, mm. that's literally what it's about. But I think that it, it, I mean, that's, the guy gets intelligence and loses intelligence, like just like Flowers for Algernon, right? right? But reading Flowers for Algernon, you don't become more intelligent, you become more wise. Right. And in the same way, in reading Understand, you don't, it's it's theme, well, I see, I don't even know what theme means, but if 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 the thing that you be, uh, that you get from it is wisdom, I think yeah. it's just that usually you don't, you know. Well, maybe you don't get wisdom, but it's about wisdom, right? Yeah, actually, Tam, that's a good point. I just read that story yesterday. Strange that oh, you should it? mention it. Um, yeah, and it is kind of the. I mean, it's an unspoken thing, but the difference between just increasing your intelligence versus growing in a, in a larger way than that because it, it's really more just about intelligence he's able to program and bring ideas together and he gets better and better and faster and faster but you know you could write a whole paper on is that wisdom mm-hmm. I would say that that one particularly is not uh, so much about wisdom as opposed to like say Flowers for Algernon which is which is more about the o- overarching experience of not not a, just a regular person getting uh, right. uplifted but of you know knowing who your friends are wh- whether that new information is um harmful or hurtful mm-hmm. um and sort of growing from the experience so like i think when you read hg wells's uh stuff like um in the valley of the blind right it's it's almost like a it's a parable of uh it's it's not called in the valley of the blind but it's something like that mm. um it, you, you grow and see, see, you know, error is actually kind of, you know, avoiding wisdom. When you read Hansel and Gretel, right, yeah. it's kind of like avoiding, avoiding the danger and you grow in wisdom in, in that. I think that's why kids like those stories. Is yeah. Because they, they really see what the mistakes are being yeah. made and they, they don't feel smart and wise. Themselves. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I was thinking, um, kind of in the religious tradition of wisdom literature, I was, I was thinking of the uh, Mercerism in uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Um, there's a lot of neat, kind of moving passages in there that are, I, I would almost consider wisdom literature. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I just did the show on that, and I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's a fascinatingly interesting religion, and it's, it's kind of like um, his version of Christianity, except the Christ is, is more like Sir, Fran- uh, Sir, Sir Francis, St. Francis, Francis, yeah, yeah. Francis of Assisi, right? right. Um, and, and, you know, our relationship to animals uh, seems to grow with our wisdom about them, hopefully. Yeah. Maybe we had a wisdom at a time. And um, if, you, if you look at the, um, the Native North American stories, peoples of uh, First Nations, we call them up here in, mm-hmm. in um, 
they're often about all about wisdom in the same way that fairy tales are. And, you know, they've got talking animals and stuff, but the the whole point of it is to teach you the culture of how to have a relationship with the ecosystem on which you depend. Right. And I think folklore and mythology translate mm-hmm. really easily into that, but I think he's going to push his students to go beyond that kind of yeah. basic early story. So I would say Neil Gaiman's Stardust is also a very uh, wisdom-y, um, in a coming-of-age sort of way, mm-hmm. wisdom story. It's interesting. It's an interesting concept because intelligence, I mean, we did a show on intelligence and stupidity, <laughs> but I've never actually thought of that. Uh, but I think it is because so much of real science fiction is about it. I'm not so sure that fantasy is about it. Um, but you asked specifically about science fiction, so <laughs> I've been thinking about that. Yeah, I'd take either. Yeah, yeah, and if anyone out there listening has a great idea, you know, you can leave a comment on our blog. That would be nice. Mm-hmm. Or tweet us. Absolutely. Yeah, tweet us. I'd like uh, to is it. the Stardust Magic? book more wise than the Stardust movie? Uh, yes. yes. Yeah, the Stardust book. Is <laughs> okay. I've only have, seen the movie. Uh, does not have Robert De Niro Sky Pirates. <laughs> well, it does have uh, Sky Pirates, but they're not. it's not like that. I, I see the first book of short stories on our list is Magic for Beginners, uh, mm. which is a Kelly Link collection, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I have read at least some of the stories in there, and I think Kelly Link probably has some wisdom. I, I just find it very baffling what she's trying to say <laughs> most of the time. Um, she's so anybody wise, else? you just don't get it. I, I don't, yeah, she's got a... I mean, I, I understand all the words. Um, I'm just not sure what she's doing exactly. She's a very oh, distinct style. I love her stories. They're kind of like, I don't know, magical realism most of the time, wouldn't you say? Yeah. yeah. I remember, I, I can't remember the name of the story, but the one I remember the most is the one about the mirror, the mirrored world. Hmm, I'm not that familiar? Or, I can't remember the name of it. It was in a different anthology. But, Interesting. I, that, I've, uh, I've not read her, but I've read Amy Bender, who is... Um, Similar. I've read a few of her short stories. Um, I think they have a very. In fact, she's even mentioned here in the in the blurb. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like Amy Bender better in short stories too. I think some authors just do best in that genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think you know I, I always had I had a problem with magic realism too because I, I it seems to be like I don't know how to uh, I don't know how to extract the value that they're trying to tell me um but i see there's stuff there i just don't know how to get to it Mm -hmm. you know what? i just realized what i did i mixed up um kelly link with angela carter sorry mea culpa okay the story i'm thinking of is the angela carter story but i do think they're similar in style and that's why i get them mixed up right well that's a big collection 11 hours i mean she's i think she is a short story writer i don't know if she has a any novels but um they, they seem to send out a little shockwave every time one of them is released. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I go and read it and I go, what's going on here? <laughs> what's, what is this about? Um, but I like, I like that there's an added uh, exclusive conversation between Kelly and Joe Hill because hmm. I'm really into Joe Hill uh, in his comic books anyways. Um, have you guys read any of his books? No, I've not. I read Horns. I really liked Horns. Okay. 
Um, oh, and speaking of which, that actually is a tie into uh, the the one comic book I want to talk about. It just came out. Uh, it's called Little Nemo uh, Returns to Slumberland, or Return to Slumberland, and it's it's uh, uh, written by Eric Shanauer. And I I don't know if you guys know who or the, who the character Little Nemo is and Slumberland. Uh, this is uh, from like 1905. There was a newspaper uh, Sunday newspaper strip that was started, and it was a huge sensation. Um, it was color, full full page, and it did a lot of the things that modern comics do um, before all the modern comics uh, mm-hmm. did them. And he, the guy who who did the, the strip back then. Um, he didn't really have a lot of contemporaries who could do the same sort of thing. So a lot of the techniques that he sort of pioneered uh, disappeared. And, uh, I mean, it it sort of had a huge following for the, uh, I think, 10 years, almost nine years it ran. Oh, we lost somebody. We lost Tam. Oh, no. Oh, well. Uh, I'll keep going. Hopefully he'll come back. Um, So... This is a reinvigoration uh, or a retelling or a, a sequel, I guess, hmm. almost almost 100 years later. Um, and the reason I picked it up was uh, twofold. One is the uh, writer is Eric Shanauer, who I had on the podcast a while back, uh, talking about a comic strip he, uh, not a comic strip, a comic he was writing called Age of Bronze, which is a, a retelling of the entire uh, Iliad and the Odyssey in oh, comics. Wow. Yeah, very cool, and it includes his his Age of Bronze series is very long running, comes out you know three or four times a year. But every every issue you get almost he's he's putting every part of every known legend about both of those stories into the comic. So it's it's intensely detailed. You get all the mythology mythological stuff, uh, origins. Um, the gods are actually absent, but you get all the background uh, for all the characters that, you know, we, we know from other uh, non-Homeric sources. Um, very cool comic. And uh, that that one made me, you know, I got him on to talk about that. And then um, he was working on the Oz comics for a long time. Oh. Uh, and then I, when I saw this, I thought, oh, Eric Chanauer. But actually what attracted me to the cover was not Eric Chanauer, because his name's small, but is Gabriel Rodriguez's art. And if you guys, I think, Tam, you know who Gabriel Rodriguez is. Oh, yeah, Lock and Key is really good. Exactly. He is the the artist who, if you introduce kids to comics today, you say, hey, read this, then they expect all art in comics to be <laughs> like that. And it doesn't work anymore, because Gabriel Rodriguez is is stunningly talented as an artist. Um, so it's got an amazing cover. Uh, it's got a good writer, um, and I had to pick that up. So, and also it's about a, sort of a topic I'm into, which is dreams and slumberland and yeah. the city life of the nighttime. Wow! And what's it called again? It's called Little Nemo Returns uh, or Return to Slumberland. Very cool. And it, 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 the premise of the first issue is that. Um, the princess in Slumberland, whose father is named, uh, uh, I think he's named, ne- no, he's not named Nemo. He's named, uh, like, Morpheus. Yeah, uh, Of course. Yes. Um, his, his daughter needs a new playmate, and uh, they're trying to get her a new playmate, and they find 
one kid has the same name as one from so long ago. And so they are getting this kid in. And it, it, it sort of recap- not recapitulates. It re, um, redoes some of the amazing art that was in the original, you know, 1905 strip. Wow. But great, great Gabriel Rodriguez art. I mean, it's, it's a beauty to look at. The only concern I have about it is it, it seems to come out, it's going to be coming out every two months. Oh, man. It's out from IDW, though, so um, I think that means we'll get a beautiful trade paperback when it does complete. Um, and, you know, if you, if you guys have read Lock and Key, you know it's got a, uh, it's got a beautiful trade paperback. I get the hardcovers of Lock and Key, or I've gotten mm-hmm. all the hardcovers of Lock and Key, and it, they do a really beautiful job with it. So, that's my comic. <laughs> yeah, his art is very detailed, very precise. It's really beautiful. It is really, I mean, it's a, it's a, it is really beautiful to actually, you know, turn the pages on lock and key. And um, this is, it looks exactly like the art, you know, he's doing exactly the great art that he does in, in that one. That's a lot more positive than lock and key. Too. Uh, it's, it's, it's supposed to be an all ages comic, which um, I think it is. It's because it's got a, a kid as a main character. I think it's, uh, it's going to be, um, even more accessible for even younger kids than Lock and Key I would give to teens, I think. That's like a horror or dark fantasy comic. Yeah, it's dark. I mean, it's got teens as the protagonist. This this kid's probably nine or something. Neat. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so our next short story collection is uh, Rogues, um, edited by George R. Martin and Gardner Dozois. Mm, Nice pronunciation. Dozois. Um... And this is one of their, um, I guess they're going through, you know, every kind of Dungeons and Dragons character uh, class or something, because they've done warriors, um, they've done wizards, or they're going to do wizards, I don't know if they've done that yet, I get, I know, uh, uh, what's his name, John Joseph Adams has done Mm -hmm. a wizards collection, but uh, anyway, I believe, does this one feature another um, Dunkin' Egg novella? I can't tell from the from the. Uh, I think from the description that I remember reading, yeah, that's the rogue they're talking about. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I I think in it's it's not strictly uh, science fiction and fantasy though. Is that correct? Uh, so yeah, they usually mix all the right. genres together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I I think in the Warriors one there was actually a uh, like a Lawrence Block story and. Lawrence Block, although he's, he had written a couple of fantasy and science fiction stories, I mean, he's now known as uh, a writer of, of you know, sort of hard-boiled mystery sort of stuff, character char- character in that genre. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking at the list of the anthology here. Connie Willis is in there, Patrick Rothfuss, Neil Gaiman. Oh, thanks, are good. Uh, Michael Swanwick, Joe R. Lionsdale. Joe Abercrombie. Wow. I mean, it's mostly genre authors. Yeah, yeah, that sounds mostly. Good. Yeah, it it does sound like it's a little more genre uh, this time out, anyways. But that might be to do with the class as well. You know, like uh, warriors uh, could be like sort of um, uh, detective cops on the beat. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas this uh, rogues is is more like yeah scoundrels and. 
Uh, okay. It you, says if you love Harry Flashman, right? That that's that's a historic figure. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you could easily do a noir noir period rogues, or I, I think there's a lot you could do Maybe. outside yeah. of genre with it. But um, I, I like the I like the lineup they have for it. So mm-hmm. that sounds good. Um, we don't know who the narrators are on that, but presumably it's a mix, like it is for Magic for Beginners. Um, right. Year's Top Ten Tales, Volume 6. Uh, top Ten Tales of Science Fiction. This is uh, from Alan Castor and Infinivox. Um, now, these are usually novellas, is my understanding, rather than short stories. Um, we've got Carrie Vaughn, Michael Swanwick, Alan M. Steele, Alistair Reynolds, Robert Reed. Robert Reed's pretty much in every collection uh, Alan Castor puts out, because Robert Reed is a really good novella writer. Greg Egan, Nancy Kress, and a couple of new people I don't recognize. Val Nolan? Hmm. I don't know. Um, so this is like um, what you would expect to see as the novelette novella category of the Hugos. Did anybody here watch the Hugos this year? I watched it on Twitter. I mean, oh, okay. I was <laughs> watching people post about who won. Yeah. I tried to watch it a couple of years ago, actually, on on the internet and then they had some sort of technical problem because they showed clips from Doctor Who or something and I thought I'll just just wait for the YouTube or whatever. Yeah, and then you don't have to wait for the speeches. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's that signal Uh, one of you, Kyle. Yeah. And so did uh, A Dribble of Ink, which is one of my favorite uh, kind of fantasy writing blogs. Uh, He just, he does really, Aiden, Aiden Moore does really good kind of in-depth, thoughtful. He doesn't write a whole... He doesn't publish, you know, ten stories a day, but he, <laughs> he, the stuff he does publish is really good and thoughtful, so I was happy about that. Uh, how did... Uh, did they have a whole category for podcasts now, or is it... Uh, Fancasts. Fancasts, Yeah, so okay. it can't be people that make money off of it. Uh, or uh, I don't remember how they make the... Video, <laughs> video is probably included in that then, too, mm-hmm. because it's not actually the word podcast. Um, that's interesting. Time travel, alternate realities, near future, apocalypse, etc. Yeah, that's grouped them all mix. together. <laughs> yep, it's a mix. Anything that isn't space travel, basically. Yeah. Um, the Girl in the Road by Monica Byrne. This is a new author I've never heard of. Yeah, it's her first novel. It sounds oh. like a Jenny book. It was totally a Jenny book. <laughs> um, I'll read the description. Mm-hmm. This comes from Random House Audio, and I don't know that it's always even marketed as science fiction or fantasy. It's one of those kind of bridging books. Mina, a young woman living in a futuristic Mumbai, wakes up with five snake bites on her chest. She doesn't know how or why, but she must flee India and return to Ethiopia, the place of her birth. Having long heard about the trail an energy-harvesting bridge that spans the Arabian Sea, she embarks on foot on this forbidden bridge with its own subculture and rules. What awaits her in Ethiopia is unclear. She's hoping the journey will illuminate it for her. Mariama, a girl from a different time, is on a quest of her own. After witnessing her mother's rape, she joins up with a caravan of strangers heading across Saharan Africa. She meets Yamaya, a beautiful and enigmatic woman who becomes her protector and confidant. Yamaya tells Mariama of Ethiopia, where revolution is brewing and life will be better. Mariama hopes against hope that it offers much more than Yamaya ever promised. 
So it seems that you love this book. I love this book. You. And <laughs> I've had several conversations about it afterwards, um, some with the author and Twitter, actually, because the ending, I had to re-listen to the ending a few times. And then I've talked to other people who've read it who also had to go back and reread it. So it's not just in audio that you're like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> Which yeah. I think is kind of a fun way to end a book. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here that I feel like I haven't read before, so that's always nice. That's <laughs> that very good. Some, some uh, exotic locations, right? Yeah, you know, not a lot of people write set in Africa, and that's a, another good thing. And having the two different women, both female characters, of course, is just nice. And they're in different times, but the story intertwines between them. Um, and some of the science was really interesting. I went and read about... Uh, the research they've done. I can't remember what it's called, but it's in my I love, review. I love the, the themes you've listed are like sort of normal. And then they go crazy here. Listen to this. Fantasy, <laughs> near future, dystopia, road trip, Ethiopia, Djibouti, India, ocean, and then metallic hydrogen. Metallic <laughs> hydrogen. That is a fascinating subject. I would encourage you to read about. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm a little bit familiar with it. Um, it, it, Physics is pretty strange when you when you go deep down. You can there's a probably a great Wikipedia entry on it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, in fact there's oh no that's a, a different a link to new solid form of hydrogen discovered extreme at extreme pressures. Yeah, um, it can act like uh, a metal even though it's not a metal. Yeah, and in my review that I already posted <laughs> to SFF Audio, I compare her. Not to any necessarily fantasy writers, but J.G. Ballard. It kept making me think of this one J.G. Ballard novel um, in style. Oh, the one where the guy falls into the ocean and he plants flowers everywhere with his bodily emission. Ah. (laughs) I can't remember the name of it. (laughs) It's a classic. Yeah. uh, The Unlimited Dream Company? Yeah. Is that the one? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I I listened to a um, adaptation of his story called The Concrete Island. Have you heard of that one? Mm-hmm. That was, it was, uh, every time I read J.G. Ballard, I'm like, okay, this guy, <laughs> yeah. is, he's so strange. Yeah. But his mind, mind shock. <laughs> yeah. He's, he, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a Twilight Zone, mm. but, but also, uh, yeah, and I, I also was listening to um, his J.G. Ballard. There was another one called The Drowned World. And that one um, made me start thinking about that uh, one that you guys are into that's set in Florida. especially oh, you, the uh, Southern Reach. Oh, Southern Reach, yeah. Is that is uh, Have you read uh, uh, that one? No, not yet. It's on my list, though. Okay, I have a feeling that might be... Uh, if you like the the other, you'll probably like that. Oh, I thought you were talking about Jeff Vandermeer. Yeah, Jeff Vandermeer's book, right? Is is yeah. isn't that Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach? Yeah. yeah. You see yeah. similarities between that and the Drowned World, is what you said. Yeah. 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 I mean, I haven't read the Drowned World. Uh, the Jeff Vandermeer books. Me either. But Not yet. It sounds it sounds like it's sort of a similar uh, changing ecology, mm-hmm. changing people, sort of thing. Interesting. And it has some, has some shocking scenes too, right? Like it's very explicit. Uh, which? Which the, one? The girl on the road. Um. 
Yes, although that bothered other reviewers more than me. I didn't really zero in on it as much as they did, but it just might be what I'm used to reading. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, next up on the list here uh, is Interlopers by Alan Dean Foster. And I'm pretty sure this has been released before, but probably with a different narrator. Huh. Um, so it's, it can't be a brand new book, but um, I think the other narrator was like one of those guys from Buffy. Uh, oh, okay. Hmm. So popular, narr- uh, popular narrator. I think Not a lot of... The- Marsters, that's the one I'm thinking I, of. I think that might be him, yeah. Who does the Dresden Files, yeah. Hmm. And it, maybe that was an abridged version or something, but uh, this hmm. one's ours, and we've already got a reviewer for it. It's uh, uh, I'll just read the description. Cody Westcott, a young archaeologist, returned from a dig at Apachitarimac with <laughs> more than he bargained for. It seemed that the Chacapoyans <laughs> that he had been studying had a lot to teach us. Uh, soon he steps through the looking glass. But unlike Alice, it's no fairy tale world that he finds. Instead, it's our own world teeming with interlopers, those who abide, unseen by the mass of humanity. They are aware that Cody can see them now. They don't like it. Thrust into the field, uh, sorry, thrust into a fight which finds him allied with highly unlikely characters. He travels around the world to ancient centers of power. He calls on the strength he never knew he possessed to save his wife and the future of humanity. Uh, I this seems a little bit like um, a couple of things, but it doesn't sound bad at all. Mm. Uh, there also makes me think of a really great short story, not so, so much about wisdom as about. Um, I'm just going to bring up the author name. Uh, just really good writing. I'm <laughs> um, called Interlopers. Uh, Saki. You guys read any Saki? No. Uh, also known as H. H. Monroe. I've um, I drank some. <laughs> uh, Saki's a British writer, even though the name doesn't sound British. Um, and The Interlopers is about two hunters who are in a dispute in the Carpathian Mountains about who's on whose territory. And they meet each other late at night with guns. Um, and then uh, fate intervenes and a tree crashes down and pins them both to the ground. Wow. And then the plot uh, is about them giving, um, giving like, it's it's about one is infringing on the other's territory, and, and then the plot is about them sort of not being enemies because they're sort of trapped in the same situation. You know, mm-hmm. this guy's trapped and that guy's trapped, and one guy has a has some... Uh, alcohol, so they pass it back and forth, and huh. and, and instead of being enemies, they fall in love. Story. Well, they're <laughs> they're going to be you know fast friends, but then some interlopers come into the story and uh, change the ending quite a bit. And mm. um, maybe it's not strictly speaking about wisdom, but I think it's a certain kind of wisdom, um, the noir kind of wisdom. Basically, yeah. you're screwed. <laughs> Even though it seems like it's going to be a happy story, he's very much, uh, Saki's very sarcastically cynical. Uh, I really enjoy his writing. Uh, probably completely unrelated other than just the title. But I, I, I love the word interloper because to lope is to, you know, walk, mm-hmm. right? Certain style. Yeah. 
and inter is between. So an interloper is somebody who gets in between two people who are fighting, really. Um, someone who casually walks into uh, a, a big mess that they know nothing about. Yeah, yeah. And gets in the way or gets crushed or something. <laughs> Very fun. Very cheery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen that episode of Star Trek Next Generation where some alien is experimenting, but uh, they can't see him until the end. Remember that remember. one? No. Huh. Yeah. Uh, no, it could be <laughs> half a dozen. Ones. Yeah, I, I, I'm remembering two different ones now. Okay. Uh, next up, uh, so what would we classify Interlopers, the Alan Dean Foster story, as? Um, yeah, so that's what... Well, Jenny's got it in, you know, time travel, alternate realities, near future apocalypse. Uh, is it like the secret world or something like that? Like a, a hidden world that we don't know about? Yeah. Something like, like that sort of subgenre is kind of hard to classify, isn't it? it certainly is. Well, what do you call those books <laughs> where you can like step through a portal? A portal fantasy? Maybe. Maybe. Like that. Is that what they call them? Maybe. Yeah. I think Archaeological I've heard fantasy. Archaeological fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. All right, well, we got a reviewer for it. Well, we'll read the review and and see see what what uh, Tom makes of it. Next up, uh-huh. Tam, why don't you read this one for us? Oh my God! Okay. Give you a hard one. <laughs> uh, oh, this is long. Close your eyes, hold hands. Is the story of Emily Shepard, a homeless teen living in an igloo made of ice and trash bags filled with frozen leaves. Half a year earlier, a nuclear plant in Vermont's northern East Kingdom has experienced a cataclysmic meltdown, and both of Emily's parents were killed. Devastatingly, her father was in charge of the plant, and the meltdown may have been his fault. Sounds like Homer. Well, was he drunk <laughs> when it happened? Thousands of people are forced to flee their homes in the kingdom. Rivers and forests are destroyed, and Emily feels certain that, as the daughter of the most hated man in America, she is in danger. So instead of following the social workers and her classmates after the meltdown, Emily takes off on her own for Burlington, where she survives by stealing, sleeping on the floor of a drug dealer's apartment, and inventing a new identity for herself. An identity inspired by her favorite poet, Emily Dickinson. Oh, this is a Jenny book. When Emily befriends a young homeless boy named Cameron, she protects him from with a ferocity she didn't know she had. But she still can't outrun her past, escape her grief, can't hide forever. So she comes up with the only plan that she can. This is a weirdly uh, hard to classify book again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, 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 it's, is it post-apocalyptic? Because it just seems like a regional uh, cataclysm. Well, regional still counts, I think. If that's how people are living. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I mean, uh, during, you know, a flood, uh, it, it almost turns into, you know, Mad Maxville or something, right? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, but there's know. a kingdom, Vermont's Northeast Kingdom, so it's clearly not. Yeah, yeah actual... I mean, something's, <laughs> something's bad has happened um, in that area. I just wonder how far it extends. But the the uh, an identity inspired by Emily Dickinson that makes it such a different kind of feel to it, don't you think? Yeah. Well, um, and a reviewer that signed up for it didn't really care for it all that much it sounded like they were trying to put too much into one story but it might be up some people's alley Mm. is that review uh forthcoming i'd like to read that yeah i'll see if i have it i have a little backlog (laughs) okay this doesn't pique your interest jenny 
interested in the first part of it, but I don't know. I can't tell if this is YA or regular. Oh. Might make a difference. It it, looks like it could work either way, you know. It kind of sounds like Bone Shaker, like the woman's father is the one that ruined the town. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good book. I enjoyed that. I haven't read any of the other uh, uh, Sherry Priest books, but I enjoyed Bone Shaker. Yeah, I only read the beginning, but it was a little slow in the beginning, so I I lemmed it. But uh, it it picks up. It's it's worth okay. reading. Yeah, a lot of people seem to like it. So okay. the next two go together. So I'll just say both of them together, and I actually don't know if they fit in this category. Oh. So, sorry, uh, Ilium and Olympos by Dan Simmons, and it's a little tiny description. An ambitious and epic tale of the gods, unrivaled heroics, and courageous adventurers who look beyond the boundaries of their worlds. Yeah, so this is like a science fiction version of the Iliad and the Odyssey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. These are classic. Like I guess. Uh, was, what, what was Hyperion a version of? Is that that's, uh, your specialty, right, Seth? Uh, yeah, John Keats wrote a long poem called Hyperion, and I, I wish I could tell you the mythological... Um, basis of it, but um, it's it's very literary and it's actually um, it takes more after um, Simmons' book takes more after um, Chaucer's you know yeah, Canterbury, Canterbury Tales. Tales. Um, right. So um, yeah, I don't know what this is going to be like at all. I, I, I get the sense that it's about uh, the Homeric epics. Oh yeah, right? yeah, very yeah, much. But I was too. I don't know what style they're going to do. I don't know if they're going to play it straight. I don't know if he's playing it kind of straight or if he has a, a spin on it. Or I think Scott um, read maybe the first one. I think there's like uh, gods or what seem like gods and mm-hmm. regular people. But it's like science fiction, definitely. The the description of Olympos sounds uh, like uh, like it may be just a continuation of the the plot of the first one, uh, Ilium, because Ilium is the land where uh, the Iliad takes place, right. which is um, Troy. Uh, it's the, I guess, the plains of Troy. Um, sequel to Ilium, it says, uh, has Achilles as the champion, um, and Achilles doesn't survive the Iliad, so um, it may be that there's more in this series, or maybe both of these are just sort of a retelling of the Iliad. Um well, I wish I had looked this up sooner because <laughs> I would have put this in a different category. Uh, but apparently, this is placing the Trojan War at the foot of Olympus Mons on Mars. Oh. And 21st century professor Thomas Hockenberry is there to play a role in the insidious private wars of vengeful gods and goddesses. <laughs> and so, on Insidious. Earth, a small band of the few remaining humans pursues a lost past and devastating truth. So it kind of still fits with post-apocalyptic, but it's really more, you know, just straight science fiction. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, yeah, but, but I wouldn't, I, like, Hyperion doesn't, I read Hyperion, and it didn't seem to me like it was it was straight science fiction, even though it is sort of set in some sort of, yeah. sort of. I guess they call um, it soft science fiction, not hard science fiction. It's more like, yeah, it's like, it's more like fantasy, it's more like a... George R. R. Martin's secondary world fantasy, but in a science fiction universe. Yeah, that mm. makes sense. Fantasy in space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, but not necessarily, you know, maybe planetary romance-ish sort of thing as well. Kind of uh, like Ray Bradbury. Uh, yeah, but with a much harder edge. Yeah. 
Ray Bradbury was really a softy. I mean, he's not concerned with hard science fiction. He just wants to do whatever cool thing pops in his head. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bradbury? Yeah. Well, both well I, th- I, think that, I think that he was very... Um, he was capable of it. I mean, everybody forgets that he wrote um, uh, a time travel story that is essentially about a chaos theory well before chaos theory was developed, right? Uh, a Sound of Thunder is very hard-thinking science fiction, even though it's, it seems obvious to us, you know, the flapping of a butterfly's wings in Japan, right. weather systems in North America. Right. Um, that uh, application to time, I mean, that's really a wisdom story there, Jenny, right? Um, mm. That application to time, uh, I don't think had been done before that. There have been lots of time travel stories before that, but the the grandfather paradox uh, as done through ecology, I don't think ever had been. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm big into ecology at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, these, not, these guys have a very the, intelligent approach. I'm, not, I'm just saying they're not like a Asperger-like devotion to um, hard science. Yeah, well, oh, certainly that's true of uh, Dan Simmons. Um, I don't, I think he, he is not uh, super into the hardness of it either no right um but few are few are let's let's keep going because i see some good stuff ahead Woohoo! not that this is bad but yeah um okay so the next two also go together i'll just mention them and then we can move on to our space category um, breakers Yay. and meltdown by edward w robertson uh, there are two books from the post-apocalyptic Breakers series about a virus that wipes out nearly the entire human race. So it's kind of a survivalist post-virus mm. series. I've never heard of that author before, so Me neither. Yeah, me either. See how that goes. Um, so let's uh, just move to space. One, 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 one quick thing? one. Okay. Um, there is a book uh, that I wanted to read and then I read about, and now I don't want to read it. But uh, it's a TV show right now uh, that came out over the summer while everybody's been doing their lives called The Last Ship. Have you guys heard of this show? It's a TNT network program. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. I've heard it's of it. Seen it. It's a bit uh, Southern Reach-like, uh, a little bit. It's based on a 1980s novel, um, and it's, uh, it's about a global pandemic uh, caused by a uh, virus. Um, but there's an American naval uh, destroyer um, in the Arctic during the time of this pandemic, and they were actually sent on a secret mission to try and find the primordial version of the virus and track it. You know, they were working on it before they were sent up there, but they didn't know that. And then when they come mm-hmm. out of their their radio silence, they discover that the world is basically. Uh, at the breaking point of, you know, the the zombies are taking over. Except there's no zombies; it's just, huh. just dying people who look like zombies. Um, and uh, I thought, oh, that sounds. It's based on a novel, so I, I went and looked up the book, and and people said, too long. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea, but too long. T L D R. Yeah, but <laughs> but as a TV show, right? The idea of a TV show is they that longness is actually a virtue, right? Right. Um, so uh, it's it's a little bit in the direction of uh, science fiction um, in the consequences, you know, wipe the slate clean and see what happens. 
Um, it's a little bit uh, too cartoonish for me, but uh, it has um, uh, Adam Baldwin from uh, Firefly in one of the roles, and he's good. So, hmm. uh, oh, it's it's not completely out of out of uh, out of sync with science fiction. Oh, it's produced cool. by Michael Bay, though, right? The trans. It is very guy. slick and stylish. Oh boy. Uh, um, oh man! <laughs> but uh, you know, for very light entertainment, um, uh, there was you know it's, it's kind of like the Burn Notice style of television wa- watching. If you guys ever watch Burn Notice, Mm-mm. I've seen it. Uh, yeah, it's like you don't really have to bring your brain to the game. But it, that, that show is educational. He tells you like how to uh, do different cons uh, and uh, how to kill yeah. in certain ways and stuff. Sure, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure. Um, but you really don't have to bring your brain to the right, game. Right. But, you know, fast-paced uh, television is perfectly good for watching while you're eating your cereal or whatever. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm not a big Michael Bay movie fan, but he, he doesn't direct it, I don't think. It's just... He's yeah, he's actually like a producer. Yeah. So that's that. Um, okay. Now, now the big exciting stuff. Space. Space. And Martian Time Slip. Uh, by Phil K. Dick. What is this? I've never heard of it. Oh, really? I want to. I'm thinking. I want to do. I want to do another Phil K. Dick book because I just did one, and I really, really, really enjoyed doing uh, do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Um, I believe I read this as a child. Martian Time Slip is a really cool novel, set on Mars. Um, it's uh, very unusual for Dick. Doesn't usually set his stories on other planets, mm. at least novels. Um. And it's got a a lot of autism stuff, which hmm. you don't get until much later. This is a 60s book. Um, but Dick was, uh, you know, he liked reading uh, a lot of the sort of journals of science. Um, and, you know, when he found some interesting subject, he would research the heck out of it and then take his own spin on it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I'll, I'm going to see if Marissa's, uh, she, she still hasn't turned in her review for that, right? Yeah. Any? Okay. So I'm thinking maybe I will, uh, see if she's into right. doing a read on this one. Cause I'm, I'm a big fan of Dick and this is, this is one of the novels that, uh, I really was very impressed by cause hmm. I, I, I don't know if it was the first one I read by him, but it was certainly one of the ones that was early enough that I was like, wow, this guy really has something. Wow. So next up, um, I've actually read uh, Kevin J. Anderson's Saga of Seven Sons, and it's it's very standard space opera. Um, it looks like he's returning to that world in a new trilogy of Dark Between the Stars. It's, it's very, um, there's several alien races, and then there are kind of these elemental creatures, at least in the, uh, in the original Saga of Seven Sons. Like there are these um, um, kind of Hydrogen-ish creatures that live, you know, in in gas planets and um, and fire kind of fire-based creatures that live in uh, in more kind of bigger stars, and so it becomes this very symbolic elemental struggle. And uh, I don't know, all of all of his stuff is the same. I've read several Kevin J. Anderson, and it seems like all his characters are the same. All his <laughs> politics. There's always like a religious fanatic. Um, <laughs> There's always kind of standard space opera tropes, and then they're kind of Anderson tropes that <laughs> seem to pop up in his science fiction. Mm-hmm. But um, I would I would give it a try because I enjoyed enjoyed it well enough. He's a he's a decent writer. 
Scott, I think, is a fan of the Saga of the Seven Sons as well, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, I think I've mentioned this several times on this podcast, but we've done more than 200 shows, so I'm going to say it again in case anybody hasn't heard this. A most interesting fact about Kevin J. Anderson um, is, if I'm recalling correctly, that he dictates his stories. Yes, yes, I've heard that before. I was hiking, yes. Yeah, so I've said it on this podcast recently enough that you guys are. Well, no, I think I heard it on another podcast or an interview with him or something like that, maybe on Dragon Page. Hmm. Um, I oh, just I think that show. I think that it really uh, shows you something uh, about r- the writing style. If if you're you know dictating, I mean, you're you're being the sort sort of natural storyteller, and that's why you get those tropes again and again, right? Ah, oh, that makes sense. It's kind of an oral, um, yeah, oral uh, um, history sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, it, the different ways of writing give different styles of writing. I was listening to a, a program about Charles Dickens and Charles Dickens did famously uh, speaking tours uh, where or not mm-hmm. speaking tours, audiobook tours. He would tour North America and uh, I guess London and uh, England and all the places where people wrote, read his books and uh, people just thought it was the greatest thing ever to go and see him read selections from his his books and a lot of good writing is designed to be read aloud, but actually reading stuff aloud into a microphone and then typing it down probably isn't the same effect, right? It's probably a different sort of effect. Mm-hmm. Anyways. So, Seth, you read all seven books? Or the seven I books? read all seven books, yeah. Oh, 25 yeah. hours for this one, so... Woo, yeah. I guess it's three, three new ones, right? Yeah, right. Star's new trilogy uh, is is one big package. Uh, it's hard to tell. I don't. I don't I, know if this is book one or three, three something. books. Yeah, three twenty-five hour books. Yeah. Wow, that's too much. The Seventh Son narrator. Uh, the The audio for the Seventh Son saga is um, weird because the first three are narrated by George Guidall, mm. and then the oh. last ones are narrated by someone else. So that's a little off-putting. Mm. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Yeah, Goodall's a good narrator, though. He really is. It's funny. It's funny that they don't just release uh, the uh, the original raw, unrecorded, uh, unedited, um, untyped. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Kevin! Yeah, draft. that would be awesome. Be funny to hear. You know, it'd be really cool. Oh, what a beautiful ridge! And then <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a Probably. good idea for him. He's probably in uh, great shape. Group where he releases Twenty-five hours worth of hiking, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, William Shakespeare, the Jedi doth tweet. Oh no, <laughs> not tweet. The Jedi doth return. Um, Forsooth. This is this is the third third in that series, I think. Yeah, um, I read the first one. I haven't reviewed it. I can't remember if we have a review, but I always um, my my spiel on this is if you really are a fanatic Shakespeare fan or a fanatic Star Wars fan, you won't like this, but if you're if you're okay with li- liberties on both sides, then, then it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, we're leaving the uh, mixed bag of s- uh, space opera and otherwise, space and otherwise, and entering robots, post-human, cyberpunk, genetic engineering. Um, I think I've reviewed Caves of, Caves of Steel. Um, the, they're all three of these uh, 
Asimov books, Robots of Dawn, Naked Sun, and Caves of Steel, in reverse order there, um, are, <laughs> are narrated by William DeFries, who's an excellent narrator. They're yes. all same length. Oh, no, Robots of Dawn is... I, I never read that one. <laughs> Must be because it's two Jessies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have read Caves of Steel. I can't remember if I read Naked Sun. But what's cool about these is they were inspired by, or at least the first one was inspired by somebody saying, you can't do science fiction and mystery because blah, blah, blah. And they state some rule that obviously is completely destroyed by Asimov in this first book. Hmm. It's a murder mystery with a science fiction setting, robots and uh, humans. And uh, it's a detective story. And it's actually... um, very unlike a lot of Asimov, it's very vivid, <laughs> which I think is kind of nice because Asimov is much more um, talky and info dumpy than uh, yeah. most people, and this one's a little more vivid. You get a sense of the of the world, and that's actually I think a part of the reason that, that that's like that is because of the mystery element, you need to be informed of certain things. Um, and a good mystery writer, which Asimov was, um, has to do it subtly enough so that he isn't actually info-dumping it right into your lap, right? So it made him maybe write a little more um, carefully uh, so as to not tip his hand as to who the murderer is. Um, and I, I quite enjoy it. And narrator's uh, William DeFries is, is very, very good as well. So, I, yeah, I've read, this, I've read this too. I, I remember it being pretty entertaining. Not, not too uh, info-dumpy that it was painful to me. No, no, not at all. I mean... Uh, and, and this is what I mean by a hard science fiction. Yeah, and it is kind of hard science fiction. I mean, f- Foundation is what people turn to for Asimov novels. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a mistake because I think Foundation is very poorly written. Um, it's very serialized. It's got a lot of interesting stuff in there, but I also think it's kind of dated. Um, and I think Caves of Steel doesn't feel dated at all, even though it's um, it's virtually as old. Mm. Yeah, I remember yeah. I read iRobot first, and I was kind of disappointed that it was just all short stories. But mm, yeah. then I read this, and it's just like one novel all the way through. Mm-hmm. And I liked it much better. Mm-hmm. Did you continue on past the first one? No. I should. Oh. Oh, it's, Are they just as good? I don't know. I haven't read past the first one. I, I, I tend not we to be serious. <laughs> uh, well, okay. before we go into the next category, I just want to mention two in passing because they're part of series we've talked about before, but they fit in this category. So we have the second archetype novel, Prototype by M.D. Waters, read by Christine Pham. That's about cloning. And I'm in the middle of listening to that one from Penguin. And then we have Robopocalypse number two by Daniel H. Wilson, narrated by different three different people, called Robogenesis. So I didn't want to get too deep into those, but just to mention that they've come out too. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, in the section we're calling middle of a series we've previously mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, w- there's one more in there, Ill Met by Moonlight. What series is that from? Uh, Sarah A. Hoyt. Oh, no, I just moved it down there because I couldn't figure out where to put it. Okay. I do want to read that one. It seems like a Shakespeare uh, origin story uh, with some presumably fantastical elements. 
Well, I will mail it to you. Oh, well, Shakespeare in Lovey, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. Because at first I thought it was time travel, but then I decided it's not. It's like Shakespeare plus elves. Yeah. So, well, that that fits into Shakespeare, right? He he wrote uh, very very uh, plays, and he's got ghosts and stuff. Uh, he's very science fictiony or fantasy. Yeah, you know, like. yeah, he sure is. Um, uh, the Tempest, I mean, is 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 got Gandalf in it for pretty much <laughs> one of the characters is almost Gandalf, right? Casting right. spells here and there. Yeah, wasn't so. there a Sandman comic that visited Shakespeare or something? Sh- should um, be. I'm sure there visited. is. I think he visited uh, Sand- the Land of the Tempest or something. Yeah. Sandman also visited uh, Slumberland with Little Nemo in Slumberland. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. It all connects to Neil Gaiman. It all, it all connects. Oh. Well, Neil Ga- Gaiman is sort of the nexus for reading all this stuff, right? Um, so, we're going to skip Kevin to Bacon historic of, uh, slash epic slash traditional fantasy. Okay. Ready for that? There's, yep. there's so much in here that I should care about and don't care about. Like I don't know. I cut my <laughs> teeth. I cut my teeth reading this stuff. I mean, there's a new Robin Hobb that like merges the Assassins series and the Fool series. Um, I actually never got into Robin Hobb. I tried reading the first one and and just really didn't get into her. Um, yeah, a, a lot new of ter- these are kind good of kind. Mid series, yeah. Yeah. There's a new Mercedes Lackey series along with James Mallory called One Dozen Daughters. Hmm. Hopefully one 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 book a daughter, right? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> well that'd be an easy way. Well, twelve daughters and one son, so maybe that's thirteen books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um I heard a podcast, um I'm trying to remember where it was, about um the bias against uh, female writers of epic fantasy, hmm. um, uh, and uh, I don't. I think Robin Hobb is female, right? Yeah. yeah. I think uh, Mercedes Lackey female. Yep. yep. Uh, um, and Naomi Novak. Naomi Novak, yeah, but she is. Is she on the list here? No. No. I, I mean, they, I think they exist, um, but uh, it seems to be more male dominated, don't you think? Uh yeah, I would say so overall. I well, I don't know. Would you count Anne McCaffrey as? I mean, that's not uh, science yeah, fiction. Sure. It's it's. I mean, it is yeah. epic fantasy. Uh, you yeah, learn yeah, later science fiction, but Andre Norton. Yeah. Uh. Well, she. Yeah. See, the thing is, but Andre doesn't sound like a right. a girl, and so the I think the, like Robin uh, also could be. It's amb- ambiguous. Right. Um. Yeah, they, the, at least they say they use like two initials. They don't even give away. Yeah, and K. Jemison or something like yeah, that. Right. right? Uh, so this this bias is it? Uh, like I I think it's about theme often. Like so you think oh I don't want to read a girl book or I don't want to read a boy book because well, I think it's romancy or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is it it can be that way, right? You you pick up a certain kind of book and you say this is what I'm gonna get. Yeah, and uh, so one of the one of the things that I was sort of frustrated about listening to the podcast is, um, you know, they say you know, oh, this, the biases are here, and you know, are biases bad or you know, right? That sort of thing. Well, one of the things that I think is kind of funny is that uh, we do it all the time. We overgeneralize about things, and it's it's even built into children, right? Children. 
it's you can see that it's built into us because children will overgeneralize a rule about grammar, and so they say funny things, right? <laughs> because the grammar's broken because they're using a, a a rule that we should accept but don't because of some other rule that says that you're not supposed to do that. Right. Um, but they they're, they're learning it very intuitively, and we have to teach them not to do that. Do we have to do that with our own? reading peccadillos, especially with a sort of a, I guess, less idea-driven uh, form of, uh, what I want to say, entertainment, as opposed to <laughs> something else. Like, does it really matter if I don't like reading women uh, epic fantasy? Not that I like reading epic fantasy generally, but <laughs> does it really matter? Well, there's this interesting discussion in the Sword and Laser forums going on right now about, That's right. Um, should I bother watching Outlander or is it just for women? You know, mm-hmm. that series by Diana Gibaldon, mm. which always gets classified first as romance when actually probably fits best as a fantasy series. You know, time travel. I, I've started watching it and I gotta tell you, I totally sympathize with that position as it because it is more romance based. Oh yeah, totally. I don't like it. Ugh. I'm not gonna watch mm. it. I saw the first episode. That was very enough. <laughs> it was very slick. Um, but the focus is is much more on the the parts of uh, like on things that I'm not so interested in. Yeah, but right? the distinction is is that that's not a female thing. But that author happens to be female. But just because of a, a, a woman writes something doesn't mean that the focus is going to be on romance. That's the uh, mistake. Don't you think it's more likely? No. Really? No. I mean, look at all the urban fantasy stuff that comes out from women. That's not about romance, unless you get to the paranormal romance side. That's about, you know, people kicking butt. And <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of those series and a lot of the post-apocalyptic series for women. <laughs> well, I know, but you're asking about what it is that women yeah. write. And they write, all, they write everything, just like men yeah. do. Yeah, I mean, I'm reading uh, Somewhere in Time right now. Well, it's, the original book title was Bid Time Return yeah. um, by Richard Matheson. Uh, and it is sappy romantic. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's uh, incredibly romantic. It, and you don't think of Matheson as a romantic. I mean, it's got hard time travel stuff in it, too. But It is, but... Like, uh, I think we would be disingenuous as a, a group of people to say that, you know, uh, men write as many <laughs> romances as women do. No. I mean, the Harlequin business is not, as far as I know, made up, you know, any small percentage of men. I mean, no, this woman doesn't read those either. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just um, saying, you know, have to be careful about generalizing. No, no, but like the the well, we have to be careful about generalizing because that's exactly the issue, right? Is 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 it is it wrong of me to say I don't think I want to try that book because it's in a genre uh, that I'm not a particular fan of, and the name of the person who wrote it sounds female, right? And I think that was a fair question for the Outlander series, right? Because I think. You could argue that there is some historical research in there and some stuff about wars and medicine. Yeah, the book. Seemed, the, I, I read the beginning of the book and it seemed very uh, highly researched, at least. It is. It kind of reminded me of Game of Thrones, actually. Yeah, I think that it's supposed to, um, and not not that she wrote it that way, but I think the television show is they're trying to re- recapture Game of Thrones in in sort of a setting mm-hmm. that is, uh, you know. 
kind of like that. I, I, I think it's very slick as a, as a TV show. Um, but one of the things I noticed that is, is it's got a voiceover narration, which almost no television shows have, at least in the amount. I mean, Dexter has it, right, or had it. Uh, but that was relatively minimal and intended to get you inside the character's um, uh, awkward headspace, as opposed to here where we're getting it inside her headspace, which is almost like, the way the filter on the screen filters it, mm-hmm. she filters her world, you know, to make it soft, almost. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, I think I'm going to watch another episode, but I, I, I think the reason I avoided reading Outlander to begin with is because I wouldn't have liked it. Well, I tried it twice. Once in audio and once in print, and it's just I tried not also. my thing. Yeah. How far did you get in print? I didn't even make it through the first book. Oh. The pacing is pretty slow, and I don't know. Yeah. I'm just not one of those swoony, oh, Jamie girls. <laughs> I, I mean, I wanted to watch the movie because it's set in a place that I love, you know, mm. but that wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like the idea of having narration in a TV show. It makes it kind of more literary. Kinda yeah, pacing. it does. Um, yeah, I and I like the fact that the guy who's running it was... On Battlestar Galactica, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, Ron Well, and then they didn't have to show all the backstory. You know, they could just start in with the war in the past and, you know, but she could explain kind of, you know, that her relationship with her husband has been, you know, they've been living apart longer than they lived together. And that stuff came out mostly in the narration. (laughs) I just think, like, I, I was thinking, like, if I was imagining a man writing the exact same premise, it would be focused completely different. And I I understand that it's possible that a man wouldn't write it the way I'm thinking he would write it. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that it would not be the way the focus is here. Right. Like, I've heard uh, Diana Gabaldon uh, talking about her, her books. And she doesn't sound to me like... Uh, she is interested in writing it in a, in the way that I would be interested in reading it, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I she said she's more interested in the characters than anything else. Yeah, and so the the, the fact that it does have good um, you know historical research in it is is fine, uh, but it's not enough for me. Right. I, I and I I think it's interesting that I I would I don't have I I'm generally against you know, bad biases and evil discrimination and all that stuff. But I, I'm not going to have someone else tell me what I should read if I don't think I'm going to actually like it. Do well, I? Well, what, I? What are you missing from it? Um, I I just don't think I care that much about... Like, there's a certain dynamic in romance that is like, women like to be chased, uh, and I mean that as in uh, people chasing after them rather than C-H-A-S-E-E. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they, like, in, in the first episode, she's got her husband, um, and then she goes back in time, and then she sees her, her a man who looks just like her husband, but he's mean, right? And this dynamic where it's okay to cheat on your husband, it has to be sort of explained in a certain romantic uh, way so that she can be with the handsome young uh, 
Scotsman or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's like that sort of dynamic. I just don't imagine being written by a lot of dudes. And I see that a lot in sort of the fantasy uh, or, or even science fiction that I've read uh, written by women. And I'm not saying that, you know, Ursula Le Guin's like that. I'm not saying all women are like that, but I, I do think that there is a preponderance of a certain style of writing to be just, it's just women like that stuff and men don't. Hmm. I don't Am agree I, with that, but that's okay. We should move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe it's all right, we're, we're, we're never going to get through our list. <laughs> all right. That's true. Uh, Let's move to urban fantasy. Okay. No one seemed yeah. very inspired by any of the fantasy titles. <laughs> no, sadly. Um, I know a greatly anticipated title, of course, would be The Magician's Land, Magician's Number right. 3, by Lev Grossman, read by Mark Bromhall. This is the final book in that trilogy, as far as I understand it. Um, Quentin Coldwater has been cast out of Fillory, the secret magical land of his childhood dreams. With nothing left to lose, he returns to where his story began, the Breakbills Preparatory College of Magic. But he can't from, hide from his past, and it's not long before it comes looking for him. Um, this person's already submitted the review for it and everything. They were very excited to get the, that audio wow. book. So I'll post wow. that pretty soon. Wow. Yeah. Um, this is a really popular I, series. I enjoyed the first one a lot. Um, and I, I'm trying to remember the second one. I did not enjoy as much. The second one felt more like um, epic fantasy. I mean, the first one had um, people have described it as uh, Harry Potter for adults. Hmm. Um, kind of because it was very much a school, you know, a college age school. So there's, you know, there's drunkenness, there's sex, there's, um, um, oh, I, I enjoyed it. Um, there's a neat kind of dynamic with the characters and, and how they discover this world of Fillory is neat. I mean, I, I really, I guess I really like origin stories and it's, it's really hard to, when you get a trilogy, second book in the trilogy, I just didn't really enjoy it. I like that this one is set back at the school. Um, back at the magic school, that seems like it's more promising. Do you think you would read the third one without having read the second one? Uh, I wouldn't. I mean, I did read the second one. I I couldn't oh. tell you anything about it because um, I didn't really enjoy it. <laughs> um, but I, I guess I like the tension between you know two worlds rather than you know the second one was mostly set in in this world of Fillory, so it the the tension of, oh, we're trying to find this new world, oh, what, what is it like? The, the mystery and the, the, the magic, I mean, there's tons of magic, but in the sense of wonder is, is kind of gone, so it sounds like this might be able to reestablish that. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I pick up on keywords. Demimond. I've heard this word before, so I, I, I didn't know what it meant, but I know demi is half, mm-hmm. so I looked it up. Uh, there's two definitions. One is a class of women on the fringes of respectable society, supported by wealthy lovers, and also their world. Or two, a distinct circle or world that is often an isolated part of a larger world, uh, one having a low reputation. Um, and then the etymology is demi means half, and mon means world, so ha- the half world. Um, how does that how does that figure into this book? Because uh, I I don't know which we're looking at here. In the I've not read the of Grossman books. The half world makes more sense, although the fact that it's somehow subordinate um, or kind of a dream world, I didn't really get that sense from reading them, mm-hmm. and it seems pretty 
fully realized. I don't know that I don't get that subordinate sense of it being a a world that's you know of the imagination or or something like that. Uh, and it's not about you know prostitutes or anything like no, that. No, nothing right? like no. I mean, as I said, there is some there is some sex, although not not very much. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was disappointed. You know, there's an evolving usage of the word. Uh, that, yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, there is a book called The Half Made World as well, right? So it's it's uh, the I mean, it's a fun word. That's I mean, a fantastic book, by the way. The Half Made World. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a Western steampunk Western. Yeah, really really good. Who hmm. uh, Felix Gilman. Interesting. And the world literally is being made. I mean, it's a great metaphor for I don't know Manifest Destiny and colonialism because there's you, know, you you've got colonies and you've got trains and um but you get to a certain point past the frontier and they literally like the world like literally is kind of roiling and there's fog and like it's it's literally um kind of forming hmm. a literal demimond yeah like when when you're playing uh civilization yeah yeah exactly and there's that fog kind of the black fog on the edge of the world and you don't know where the world's going to yes, be yes exactly unless you make it uh if you make it Earth, then you know, you know, here, there's Florida. I know where <laughs> I know where I am now. Yeah. But if it's uh if it's a random randomized world, you you just don't know where yeah. you are. Yeah, that's a really good metaphor for that book. Hmm. And they look up and they see Jesse playing the game. <laughs> you know, that's right. Everybody should play Civilization. I wish they'd re-release it as a as a classic because it's just good enough as it is. Graphics are terrible, but it's not about the graphics. The gameplay. Yeah, I mean they've got Civilization Five, but it's it's a little it's a little more complex. All right, let's move on. Okay, Curse so of the Wolf Girl. Yeah, we got two titles from Resurrection House. Well, Underland Press of Resurrection House, and the other one will be in the horror section. But this one goes into urban fantasy. Curse of the Wolf Girl by Martin Miller, read by Cat Rose Martin. 24 hours long. Want me to read the description? Please. Okay. Calix, a morose, laudanum-addicted, unschooled, slightly anorexic werewolf, is still on the run. The youngest daughter of the Thane of the McRinnell <laughs> clan of werewolves, held responsible unfairly for the death of the Thane. Am I saying that right? I don't know. Oh. And justifiably responsible for the deaths of a great many other werewolves, remains prohibited from returning to Scotland in order to maintain the uneasy peace that temporarily prevails in court, despite the endemic debauchery and degeneracy always threatening, threatening to again spiral out of control. Fun vocab words. Morose. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so it's an outlander with werewolves. Yeah, I know. It's funny that we were just talking about outlander because it fits right in there. <laughs> But it's very long, 20, 24 hours, 19 minutes. Yeah, and I don't know this author either, so I'll be interested to hear what Don thinks about it. Interesting. All right. Uh, what was the other one that came from Underland Press slash Resurrection? It House? is The Pilo Family Circus by Will Elliott. That one, did we talk about that before? I don't know. Sounds familiar. We've, I think the review's already posted about it. That may be uh, why it sounds familiar. Psychotic Clowns, Horrific Alternative Universe, the centuries-old Pilo Family Circus, which is a borderline world between hell and earth from which humankind's greatest tragedies have been perpetuated. Hmm. Sounds dark. Sounds real real nice and dark. <laughs> uh, Coco Takes a Holiday. Is, 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 is Tam is trying it out. 
What, what do you think, Tam? Um, I, I I haven't started it. Oh, okay. Kieran Chi is the author. Hillary Huber is the narrator. I've heard Hillary Huber narrate before. 500 years from now, ex-corporate mercenary Coco Marst, Mart Steller. Mart Steller. He sells stars. Is swaggering <laughs> with an uneasy early retirement as a brothel owner on the 60 Islands, a manufactured tropical resort archipelago known for its sex and simulated violence. There's a demimond for you. Yeah. Is it a simulated sex or... No, just, just the, the sex is real. The, the violence is simulated. Violence is simulated. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> Surrounded by slang-drooling boy whores and synthetic Komodo dragons, Coco finds the most challenging part of the day might be deciding on her next drink. That is until old camera comrade Portia Delacompte sends a squad of security personnel to murder her. This does sound like a town book somehow. <laughs> yeah, the cover has wow. a woman that looks like she can kick a lot of ass. Uh, I'm tempted by it. Yep. I had a feeling. Um, is this... It's, it's not paranormal romance. It's it's. I science. think it's like cyberpunk, like virtual world. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, it's sort of cyberpunk soundy a little bit. Wow. Yeah, anymore I just stick cyberpunk into urban fantasy because cyberpunk isn't really relevant anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think you're right. I mean, it, it was a, it's a historical phenomenon. Clean Sweep. By Ilona Andrews yeah. for Kristen's doing the review. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody heard of this author before? Oh yeah, I've she heard of her. Fantasy. Okay. Yeah, most I think of the it's actually like a series. Couple. Oh, is that? Yeah. Uh, who wants to read this for me? Because I just did one. I will. <laughs> oh, thank I'm not set up to read these things. Sorry. <laughs> On right. the outside, Dina Demille is the epitome of normal. She runs a quaint Victorian bed and breakfast in a small Texas town, owns a Shih Tzu named Beast, and is a perfect neighbor, whose biggest problem should be what to serve her guests for breakfast. But Dina is different. Her broom is a deadly weapon. Her inn is magic and thinks for itself. Meant to be a lodging for otherworldly visitors, the only permanent guest is a retired galactic aristocrat who can't leave the grounds because she's responsible for the deaths of millions and someone might shoot her on sight. Under the circumstances, normal is a bit of a stretch for Dina, or Dinah. And now, something with wicked claws and deep water teeth has begun to hunt at night. Feeling responsible for her neighbors, Dina decides to get involved. Before long, she has to juggle dealing with the annoyingly attractive ex-military new neighbor, Sean Evans, an alpha strain werewolf, and the equally arresting cosmic vampire soldier, Arland, while trying to keep her in and its guests safe. But the enemy she's facing is unlike anything she's ever encountered before. It's smart, vicious, and lethal, and putting herself between this creature and her neighbors might just cost her everything. Sounds a bit like the Callahan books by Spider Robinson. Um, yeah, this sounds like science fiction. Yeah, well, it definitely. It's, it's, but it also sounds funny, right? Like, yeah. Humorous science fiction. The Callahan is a bar. Uh, Callahan's is a bar. Um, as opposed to uh, bed and breakfast uh, or anything, but uh, it's a long-running series. Uh, mostly, it's about jokes. <laughs> um, the situations are solved by you know outrageous Deus ex machina, huh. travel, and you know weird inventions and and such. Um, uh, the first book in that series is called I think Time Travelers Strictly Cash, <laughs> which is pretty funny because. Time travel. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> so this this might be uh, a good book. Is it uh, a series? Do you think? No, I actually looked that up because I wasn't sure. Usually, I think this author has series, but this seems right. to stand alone. Unless it's book one. Right. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It sounds good. It does. It kind of sounds like it might fit the niche of like, uh, what are the the vampires in Louisiana? You know, because it's both southern and small oh, town. Sure. Sookie Stackhouse, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Kind of seems like maybe it might have the same audience. Uh, well, yeah, but that that was not played for laughs, though, right? Oh, I think the books are no. funny compared to what they did with the show. Yeah, I they are funny. funny. But they're, they're <laughs> sick, yeah. Uh, yeah, but... It was, uh, like, campy. It, Maybe not funny, but yeah, campy. Campy, I agree. But, um, like, if you read the Spider-Robinson Callahan books, I think that that's more of the target here. Those, I mean, the plots make no sense. It's all about the characters and and about the funny jokes that they're always... I mean, some of them are just there making jokes the whole time during everything happening. Mm-hmm. And somebody will die and it'll be touching, but it won't be like... Uh, uh, the, the plot really doesn't matter. It's all about, you know, sort of right. playing with the tropes and, and having fun hanging out with a bunch of people in a bar. Um, here, I mean, the the plot, what I can get of it, sounds pretty ridiculous. Um. Whereas I think the Suki Stackhouse is a little bit more... I, I read the first one and I quite liked it. It's a little more straight-up uh, romance mystery. There's a lot it, of humor in it, but it's not a humor book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. And it's nice short length. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm not uh, one to pick up series, but I do like a good, funny book. It almost sounds like urban fantasy, except there's like science fiction elements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I get the sense she's a witch, don't you? Yeah, the right, broom, right. yeah, broom? all that stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but this Actually, I was, of of House, I was thinking of Howl's Moving Castle in the beginning. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Like, her name is magic and thinks for itself. Mm-hmm. Broom is a deadly weapon. Hmm, interesting. So, what's next? Let's go down to the Vampire Empire trilogy, which we got all three of them at the same time. Um, I think they're actually a few years old, but they're written by Clay and Susan Griffith, and all of them are read by James Marsters. So, of course, they got snapped up by our reviewers because James Marsters is an excellent reviewer. And I won't read the incredibly long descriptions of these, just to say that they're set in kind of a post-apocalyptic world, but the vampires are kind of like steampunk vampires. Ah, interesting. So, yeah, it seems like a really interesting concept. I think we've posted the review of one of them already, um, and the rest are coming so okay. I hadn't heard of those mm. before. Mm-hmm. Vampire Empire just sounds like just saying it is awful. Just the yeah. the, the rhyme is uh, it's just really bad. It sounds like a Hopeless. band. <laughs> yeah, Vampire Empire. I think these are on graphic audio too. Ah, oh, cool. Interesting. Going to pull cast version. Mm-hmm. Slightly abridged, uh, but not really. Uh, okay, who's the Stephen King fan a fan among us? I like Not Stephen me. King. There you go. Tam? Uh, I read this. You, you read Mr. Mercedes? Yes. But this it's isn't horror. It's just it's like right? straight uh, police versus serial killer type stuff. Hard-boiled detective, it says at the bottom. Well, he's, hmm. he's an ex-cop, uh, overweight, unhealthy. Will Patton's a really good narrator. He's very soft-spoken. Hmm. Um, but... 
you know, he in movies and TV shows, he sort of plays um, the kind father or something like that uh, with, you know, drinking problems, <laughs> you know, sort, sort of, uh, but a very soft-spoken guy. Um, and he makes a very, a very intimate narration, I think. Very good narrator. Um, so what do you think? It's a, it's a new Stephen King book. People are saying he's losing his edge. Do you think that that's true? Well, I, I guess it's not very original, and it, it's not really horror. I mean, it's just like uh, a straight um, cop versus killer type book. I mean, Stephen King does characters uh, pretty good, so I think that's the highlight of it. And so the killer is this guy that just basically runs over crowds of people with his car. Huh. Okay. But, with uh, a Mercedes? Yeah. And it's Mercedes. So, I mean, I finished the whole thing, so that says something about it. Yeah. They're, they're, um. But I've seen people say, well, it's, it's not very original, it's kind of cliched. But, uh. I don't know, I, I like the characters well enough. Hmm. It really gets uh, into I, the mind of the killer and stuff, if you like that like, kind of thing. Yeah, I, and it's not part of a series, so. No, I think it is. It's gonna be. Oh, is it? Yeah. Start of a series, you mean? But he said. For some reason, even though it's a series, that's not spoiling whether people live or die in the first one. So I wonder how that makes sense. Huh. Interesting. We already talked about Pilo Family Circus. Uh, the Shunned House by H.P. Lovecraft, read by Jim Roberts. Um, I think I was reading somewhere that it said that this was never before on audio. Uh, yeah, that's not true. Uh, but I think a lot of the stuff, what they mean by that is just, that brilliance has never had it yeah, before. Yeah, I know. I just, I keep it in there, but most of the yeah. time it's reprints from Audible. Yeah, but even so, I mean, like, this is, this, uh, you know, I put this on the website, this story. Um, this is based on a real house in uh, Providence, and uh, you can go visit the house, apparently. You can see it on Google Maps and stuff. It's wow. Cool. Yeah, um, and it's kind of like a haunted house in the neighborhood, or was supposed to be back then. And uh, I think there's a poem Lovecraft wrote that's kind of related to that. And it's called The House. And over the summer, my students and I were doing illustrations of various Lovecraft poems. That's one of the ones we did. Um, and uh, one of the cool parts about it is sort of related to something that happens in the shunned house as well. Is that the, there's this um, tree growth or vine growth mm. coming out of... Um, uh, the basement of the house. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it's in the poem, it's something like, and no one knows the juices that they suck. Whoa. And, and uh, <laughs> in the illustration, um, there's like a coffin and, you know, a body, hang, an arm hanging out and the, all the all the source of the evils coming out of the uh, of this coffin. And it's, you know, growing into these very verdant trees and, and uh, flowers and it's like ooh I love it wow <laughs> love that's uh, yeah I'm sold on this <laughs> good stuff sounds like the strain uh yeah uh, you've been watching that as well I, I makes saw like me the first two book. I really want to read the book now cause I, I read the first one it was okay I uh, didn't do anything special I and mean, there were some neat characters retelling of Dracula I didn't realize that it's like uh, Salem's Lot is a retelling of Dracula this is a retelling of Dracula sort of right? except instead of in being in England London it's it's New York at least in the TV show uh, you you weren't a huge fan of the book 
No, it um, it it had some interesting characters, but it was too uh, it was too actiony. I think if it had taken its time with the mythology a little more, um, I would have I would have liked it better. But you know, it, it well, felt like it was written, felt like it was written by a movie guy, which it which it was, you know. But yeah, I think it was co-written as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do Guillermo like what he does on film. Toro, what's his name? Yeah. Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. I, I, I think he's maybe just should stick to to uh, movies and stuff. But actually, I read the comic book first. Um, there's a comic book adaptation of it, at least started. I don't know if it's continued, but I, I read the first issue. And then it said in the back, you know, coming in July uh, 2014, TV show. And I think the TV show is very well done. It's it's quite gr- gruesome. Yeah. Uh, for yeah, that's what I like about it. Yeah, I, I it's, it's kind of shocking, but it's got it's slow with the setup. There's a lot of characters, um, and you get the sense that it's gonna it's gonna go well or badly. <laughs> I might enjoy the TV show. No, I haven't. I'm I'm just thinking I might enjoy the TV show more than the uh, more than I, I like the book. A lot of things are designed, you know, for the specific medium. They're better in that medium than others. I don't think Lovecraft is one that's specially designed for television, for example. No, because it's very psychological. The, the horror, you know, you see pictures it's of stuff. It's about words, right? And it's, it's about yeah. evo- evo- evoking, not about the showing. It's like, okay, that tentacle is kind of scary looking, and, you know, you move on. But hearing and, and reading about the guy seeing just the suggestive tip of his tentacle, and, mm. it, yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, there was very few tentacles in, in the illustrations we did. Uh, there's almost no tentacles in anything by Lovecraft. The only thing that people can really point to is is uh, the Call of Cthulhu, which is mm-hmm. you know, a story um, with a monster named Cthulhu, and he has tentacles. But everything else by Lovecraft is pretty much right. tentacle-free, and yet the visualization is, is all about the tentacles. Oh, Cthulhu isn't like in several stories? He's uh, the the name is mentioned in a couple of other things, but very minorly. Um, it's is mostly not anything to do with Cthulhu. Oh, it's surprising. It's, I always thought. Well, that's series. because the people don't read it, right? They just they see the comics, they see the web comics, they see the you know there's there was a what was a a Hello Cthulhu <laughs> instead of Hello Kitty, you know? It's like that has nothing to do with Lovecraft, really, and. One of the comments that I really liked uh, on all the tweets that I've been doing of on my my pictures and my students' pictures illustrating these poems and stuff is that even though they you know they're by kids and by me and not particularly talented drawer and colorist right um, is that they are more about the actual stories than most of the Lovecraft stuff that's there because we're reading we'll read a poem. And then we'll say, okay, what actually is mentioned in here? What can we draw a picture of? And almost, there's, I don't think there was a single tentacle in any of them. It's almost all, you know, there's creepy houses and dead bodies and, and monsters that uh, make you scared. You know, people at bottoms of lakes and stuff like that, but there's not yeah. a lot of, of tentacles at all. It's too bad. No, it's not too bad. It's much better. <laughs> I want more tentacles. I need some Lovecraft, dude. Shunned house. You could start with that. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.
Hentai tentacle porn. <laughs> That's not for me. 